Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we analyze pop culture through the lens of race or gender, and sometimes both. I'm your host, Julia Washington, and on today's show, we are getting into Inside Out. Inside Out was first released in 2015 and stars Amy Poehler, Bill Hader, Minnie Kaling, Lewis Clark, Phyllis Smith, and so many other recognizable voices. But before we dive in, let me introduce you to my guest. Jackie is a system strategist who helps coaches, consultants, and service providers create systems that work for them so they can take a week long vacation, take care of a sick kid, or have a hammock afternoon without worrying that their business will implode. You can find her reading, walking her dog, or enjoying all things Marvel. And I have to be upfront with everybody tuning in. Jackie and I know each other because of a former guest, Tracy Stanger, who hosts a Tuesday coffee house table. I always get the order wrong. Talk. Talk. I know, same here. (laughs) Um, via Zoom every Tuesday, and that is where we met. And so now we follow each other on Instagram, and it feels like we're friends in real life, even though we've never met in person. <laughs> very much, very much. Julia well, is the person that I'm like, I just watched this show. Have you seen it? Yes. And she's like, of course. <laughs> I love TV. It's a problem. <laughs> and because it's somebody I can talk to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Fair, 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 fair. But I love that you're here because I feel like we do always have really good conversations and coffee table. And so when I was like, hey, y'all, we're doing, we're getting into Disney slash Pixar because Disney owns Pixar now. You were like me inside out. I take it. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I actually wanted, you know, Beauty and the Beast first, but somebody had already picked that one. So. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, maybe Beauty and the Beast should actually be a panel discussion because there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, which I did not realize until like in my late 30s that I was like, wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just loved Belle because she read books. Right. <laughs> and I read, you know, and she wasn't blonde. Um, but yeah, then I'm looking at it, I'm like, hey, this is problematic. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. same books. She walks into that, which McCall the library, and you're just like, hello, sign me up. That's like the sexiest thing I've seen in my entire life. Yeah, with the ladder. I've always wanted one of those library ladders. Yeah. Yes. Oh okay. Food for thought. Anyway, we're here to talk about Inside Out. So I wanted to do a quick summary of the film. And if you're new around here, we always pull some summaries from Google because everyone relies on Google for their information. Riley is a happy, hockey-loving 11-year-old Midwestern girl, but her world turns upside down when she and her parents move to San Francisco. Riley's emotions, led by Joy, try to guide her through this difficult, life-changing event. However, the stress of the move brings sadness to the forefront. When Joy and sadness are inadvertently swept into the far reaches of Riley's mind, the only emotions left in headquarters are anger, fear, and disgust. So at the time of its release, the New York Times writer A.O. Scott, who we love on the show because he always writes reviews that seem fair and accurate and not rooted in misogyny, Roger Ebert, the, he had this to say, quote, the achievement of Inside Out is once subtler and more impressive. 
This is a movie almost entirely populated by abstract concepts moving through theoretical space. The world is both radically new, you've never seen anything like it, and instantly recognizable as familiar aspects of consciousness are given shape and voice. Remember your imaginary childhood friend, your earliest phobias, your strangest dreams, you will and you also have a newly inspired understanding of how and why you remember those things. You will look at the screen and know yourself, end quote. And I feel like that's accurate. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. that's so hard. Yeah. So before we dive into the meat of our conversation, I want to start with just like, uh, we're dipping our toes in first. Um, overall impressions of the movie. So Jackie, when you first saw this film, what was your overall thought? Well, when I first saw it, it was way back in, when it was first released. I'm pretty sure I went to the movie theater for it. And I just, I really enjoyed the message that all your emotions are valid. Mm. Like trying to suppress any one emotion is not a healthy thing to do, that they all have a role to play. And that I think is what I really got out of it that very first time, as well as finding the analogies within it make it easier to talk with younger children um, about their emotions. Now, mm -hmm. my son would have been like 13 at the time. So we were talking about all kinds of different emotions, yeah. then, um, <laughs> which we can get into later, um, but we could refer back to those. So like my niece would have been three at the time and we would talk about favorite emotions and she and I were always discussed. It was it's how we would always say it. So we had this language that we could talk to each other about how are you feeling today? And she could reference those characters. Yeah. And then that's the great thing about Pixar is they make things really tangible. Like they take these big concepts that are sometimes hard for adults to even understand. And they really know how to break it down and be like, this is what you're feeling. <laughs> I mean, from like Toy Story to I, I think the most recent one is Elemental. It's like, oh, yeah, you hit it on the head. Like you people are real humans making movies. Stop it. <laughs> I mean, don't stop it, but like, also I'm, yeah, like also I need a minute to recover from that film. <laughs> okay. Every single one of the Pixar's you need at least a minute to recover from them. Uh, yeah. I've taken now to seeing them earlier in the day. So I have the evening to decompress before bed. <laughs> That's a really good idea. There's horror movies, which you don't watch right before bed. And then there's Pixar movies. <laughs> uh -huh, exactly. In 2015, my son would have been 11. So he was the right age for to kind of, I think, identify with Riley a little bit. And I think we did go see it in the theater as well, because that was the point in his life where it's like, oh, we're starting to expand a little bit more, a little bit more. And we've got a, a little bit more of a library we can tap into now that you have language that isn't just I'm mad. <laughs> But I loved it and I wept through the whole thing because that's what you do when you need therapy. <laughs> I heard an interview years ago when the movie first released um, that it took them a long time to even get this film to where it is, where it was at 2015 to release because they did more than just sort of pop psychology. They really got into the weeds about psychology and um just the way emotions sort of coexist and you I mean there's no way they could have turned this movie out in a year from beginning to end you know and it really feels like it's in the weeds it really feels like it's mm -hmm. in the weeds yeah yeah and they included things that you know like the abstract 
you know, when they go into that area and they become yes. abstract. I feel like the movie was just enhanced by that. Like, mm -hmm. It would have been a great movie without it, but adding that element just helped you understand the brain a little bit better. Yeah. And just took it over the top kind of a thing. Yes, I loved that scene. That was actually something I pro, uh, wrote down the abstract thought stages because I didn't I didn't pay as much attention to it in the past as I did this time. And then I love how sad this is like there's we're in the first. OK, we can still make it out alive. And then she's like, so I've read the manual and the manual says and you're just like, one, can I get that manual? <laughs> and, and two, it's just like she's very like here's here's where we gotta go and it was so I don't know it was just so much fun it was just so much fun to kind of watch that and see and then it felt like yeah I feel like that in abstract thought sometimes too like stop it Pixar well, there's so many pieces and parts that you can relate to like hello the clown in the subconscious there seems to be like this universal fear of clowns in everybody's subconscious so it was like oh I can relate to that one mm-hmm so. Yeah, or like the dream lens when they were when they're like, okay, let's catalog everything Riley's been through today. The writers wrote a script. Here's her dream sequence, and then every and then they have the different lenses to put on the camera to sort of make it real. That was so cool to watch, but also slightly terrifying because when joy and sadness get into the dog costume and separate, and you're just like, oh god, <laughs> why? It was the rainbow unicorn. I just. And comes in, which is, I love the rainbow unicorn and all of that dream sequence stuff. Yes. Oh, it's so good. <clears throat> okay. So this isn't the first time we've uh, discussed Inside Out on the show. When we first touched on it in season three, we talked about the mental health aspect of it in adolescence. And in that conversation, our guest at the time noted that mom was led by sadness and dad was led by anger. And as Jackie and I prepped for this conversation, you pointed out, Jackie, that Riley's emotions are gendered. And Inside Out so Inside Out presents us with each character possessing five emotions: joy, sadness, anger, fear, and disgust. For Riley, joy, sadness, and disgust are all female, and anger and fear are all male. But in her parents and seemingly literally every other character in the movie, these emotions are all the same gender of their person or being. Because um, the dog, I can't, you know, when they show the dog. And the cat. <laughs> and the cat. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit more about the gendering of Riley's emotions specifically. You had sent me a couple of DMs and I was like, oh, I want to respond so bad. But then also I want to save it for the show. <laughs> Well, as I, I don't think it was something that really, I mean, I, when I first saw it, I thought, well, this is just strange because mom and dad, you know, that dinner scene, mom and dad, their, their emotions all seem to be gendered to match them, but Riley's weren't. Um, but I, there was so much that first time around to, yeah. to ingest. So this time around, I was literally taking notes as I was watching. And so that really stood out to me. So I immediately got on Google as again, as we all do. And um, I don't remember who it was. It was a, like a big wig in Pixar or Disney was like, oh, that must mean that because when they're young, you're not fully formed and they're more fluid. And then once you're you know, older and you're grown up, you're more set in your ways. So we went to the director of the movie and he's like, hey, is this what it is? And the guy's like, no, it's just easier to like tell the story. He's like, if everybody had all these different gendered characters running in their head, people would get like, there'd be an overwhelming number of characters. So 
this is why we did it this way. <laughs> so. Oh, interesting. I like that exact theory though, because it does kind yeah. of, it does, it is interesting how like, Riley's the prime age for puberty. I mean, nowadays, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Puberty start can start as early as nine years old for some people, for some girls. But like, I feel like 11 year old is sort of an average age where you start to see the signs of puberty. So then you are started starting to kind of figure out like, what do I like? And, and who am I? And what does this all mean? And now I have all these emotions and I'm not sure how to regulate them because things are changing. And I really like that idea of it being like, well, you know, cause it gender's fluid. And then as we get older, we learn ourselves, learn about ourselves a little bit better. I love that theory. Why did the director too. have to ruin it? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, no. But I think when, what I pointed out to you and which kind of comes back to like what emotions were in charge in each of the parents mm. is that in Riley, they gendered the um, anger as male, which is like one of the only emotions that we as a society think is okay for men to show. So mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting that, that that character was not gendered as female, which then again, it's not okay for most women to be angry in our society. So imagine if they had gendered that character as female, what that would have been like. Right. So. And in the mom, her anger is such a small portion of her. We don't right, see her. remember her hardly speaking. Correct. Correct. And that's something I picked up on in it because it, you had pointed it out. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And I did go back and listen to that episode because we only did like 15 minutes on Inside Out. And I wanted to hear what we talked about there. And I had forgotten that our guest at the time had brought that up. So watching it this time around, it was like, this is really interesting because the choice to have sadness lead mom tells me that an adult female is heavily involved with the development of this script. Because when I think about like the women in my lives who are in their seventies or even like, as you know, and I don't know, there's a lot of sometimes like when you don't necessarily feel like the, your life turned out the way that you had envisioned it would for whatever reason, because it's the world and it's a patriarchy. And so shit's going to shit. There is a lot of sadness there, but yet a lot of women still try, they lean on joy still, right? Like a lot of moms still are like, okay, this didn't turn out how I wanted. I'm sad, but I'm going to lean on joy. So no one knows I'm sad. And in reality, I mean, especially I'm, 47 hitting that midlife I've hit that midlife stage and you get there and there's actually a lot of rage and anger in there but you're still mm -hmm. stuffing it down yeah and you're just angry at the world as it is that squashed you so that you couldn't have the life that you dreamed of because they said we could have it all and in mm -hmm. reality we can't and so mm -hmm. now there's resentment and anger that goes with that and yet again we have to keep it small to make everybody else around us comfortable which just then leads to a lot of like yeah, sadness and disappointment. Yeah, and to your point, you're absolutely right. People, our society has absolutely no idea what to do with an angry woman. It's like it's it's out. It's not allowed. You are not allowed to be upset in any way, shape, or form. You must. You're you stop being emotional. Kind of shit comes out, and you're just like, no, I'm allowed to be angry. Like this is a thing. And then conversely, on the other side of that coin for black women, it's like everyone, you know, the society just assumes they're angry all the time, and you're like, oh, okay, like. <laughs> we can't win 
but it's it, well, and as white as a white woman, it's passive aggressive. That's what mm. we've adopted. Like that's how anger comes out, and that way we can kind of like, oh no, I I wasn't saying anything. You just misinterpreted that. So I love the idea of wondering what it would be like if fear were led by were gendered female, and how different that would look. Because I think sometimes men get a pass to be super angry. Like we are now in a state of like, well, that's just men. And you're like, no, but that's actually really bad behavior. And the result of that anger is someone's death or destruction of property. Or, I mean, (laughs) the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Well, and I think back to, so I'm a superhero person and then, um, Think back to Wonder Woman, and she was literally created as propaganda to teach young boys how to be comfortable with women in leadership. Mm-hmm. And so if they had taken the time to really think out how they were gendering those, and maybe they did and they just, it just slipped, I don't know. But if they thought, what if I had made anger, you know, gendered female, would that be something that would then help children get more used to the idea that it's okay for women to be angry so that as they grow up, you know, that is not such an issue. Right. Yeah. And truly, because it is starting, I don't know. I, you know, when I got, I don't, for, for me, it really was that start of puberty when people started sort of making those emotional comments when I would get upset and I didn't understand how to navigate through that anger. It's like, oh, you're being emotional. So then you have this compounded issue because it's like, well, there isn't anybody here to help like that I want to talk to. I'm angry. There's no navigation. We're not in headquarters in our emotions. So the manual isn't privy to us. (laughs) And also, what does it say about us that, emotional is an insult right we all have them (laughs) so why is calling somebody emotional such an insulting thing in Mm -hmm. our culture yeah i've leaned into referring to myself as someone who experiences big emotions um and i recently had a family member who was like well are you going to learn how to control that and i said no i have controlled it i have accepted that i have and experienced big emotions that's controlling it they just make you uncomfortable yeah like the person on the other side is uncomfortable and mm-hmm. you're fine with your emotions and you're not harming anybody with it, but you're making them uncomfortable. Correct. Correct. Maybe, maybe you need to think about why, why I make you uncomfortable. <laughs> Lord knows you've told me why I make you uncomfortable lots of times. Maybe you should sit with it instead of telling me about it. <laughs> what is it that you have inside you that makes you so uncomfortable? <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I also think it's interesting that disgust is a woman is gendered female. Like I know we talked a lot about fear being gendered male and like, or anger being gendered male and fear being gendered male. We didn't really talk about fear being, but we talked a lot about anger being gendered male, but I think it's interesting that disgust is gendered female because I feel like that's another sort of stereotype that we don't really give a lot of attention to. Yeah. And they portray her very much like a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. Like all those clickish, horrible things that, you know, that we stereotype as a teenage girl. Yeah. Yeah. She felt very clueless at times when she was talking. I'm like, this sounds like a movie clueless. Yeah. 
And then two, the fear was so interesting because you really could have gone either way in that direction. But I would say that in our present state of society, male fear is what seems to be winning. But we're covering it up with anger. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can count on all my hands, almost every man I know that when you dig into the anger, it's usually the fear. Yeah. Rooted in fear. It's so interesting because I hate it when people say things where you're just like, when you start to do the work in yourself to understand just everything, the deprogramming, right? Because you want to deprogram, like why I did everything right and it didn't work out. So what's the, it's not me. And then everyone, you know, that <clears throat> the program tells you it is you. And it's like, no, it's not me. Cause I did everything you told me to do. Um, and then, so you start kind of doing that deconstruction and when people haven't done the work and they're not doing the deconstruction, you really do hear fear when they speak, as opposed to prior to that, you're just like, oh yeah, like this is all how we're supposed to work. Um, and it's sad because it's like, I need, you know, it's like, I don't, I want to say I need you to do the work, but people are only going to do the work if they're willing to do the work. But it really is sad because then you're just like, oh, you're going to keep living in this cycle and you're going to just blame yourself for the system not paying you what you're worth because you did everything. You're just going to keep working until you die. And you're going to wonder why you don't have what your parents had. And it's the reality is, is it's the system isn't designed for you to do that. There's the outliers that we see who are wildly successful. And you're just like, well, how did you break the system? And and then, you know, it's not always great the way the system was broken to be successful, I guess. I do think it was interesting that they did portray fear within Riley as male, because we often teach little boys that they shouldn't be afraid. Mm -hmm. more so than we teach little girls. That's like a big thing, you know, you, you know, be brave. That's one of those big messages. So to have fear gendered male, I do think was a good idea. I like that point. I do. Yeah. Cause I think when I think about the way that I was raised, there's a lot of like, I don't know if this was something that you learned Jackie, but you know, don't go to the bathroom by yourself. If you're in public, if you can avoid it, don't, you know, make sure you park under a streetlight because then you're less likely to have somebody hiding under your car. Or like, as I got older and started pulling away from my family unit, I was sent news articles about things that would happen to women. And like, there was like a spree of women in town the year, like my son was like three or four and like people were like targeting women, putting their kids in the car to steal all their stuff, their purses or whatever, because they put the kid in first and then their purses in the basket and like be mindful of that. So there's just a lot of this, like we're trying to protect you, but really it's like, I'm, I'm afraid I'm scared. So I'm going to inform everybody of all the horrors of the world rather than teaching you how to be an alert person. <laughs> and I do think like the women that I talked to, yes, life as we've been taught to fear, and there's reasons to be fearful as a woman in society. Um, so it's just kind of naturally part of us. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. You know, it's just uh, kind of always writing, you know, in one of the front seats type of a situation because we're taught to fear everything. And as a Gen Xer, definitely taught to, you know, fear absolutely everything. But I mean, yeah, I mean, to the point where I had friends who were told not to turn up the temperature on the thermostat or they blow up the house. So of course they're going to be fearful of things. 
Oh my gosh. You've heard me mention that I am now a contributor to Jennifer Magazine, so I want to tell you a little bit about the publication. Jennifer Magazine supports a strong community of women and non-binary people who are challenging the status quo of ageism, choosing conscious consumption over status-seeking, supporting brands that align with their values of inclusion, stepping into the empowerment found in self-expression, and talking about it. If you're tired of reading publications that seem to miss the mark when it comes to coverage of women, aging, and the gender binary, publications that are rooted in internalized racism and misogyny, then Jennifer Magazine is the publication for you. The publisher of Jennifer Magazine was once told that there's concern that Jennifer Magazine misses the mark, that it's not something people are asking for. And you know what? It's hard to ask for something when you don't know that something has been missing from your life. You can read Jennifer Magazine at jennifermag.com. There you can purchase monthly issues or even join their annual subscription and receive exclusive discounts. So I want to talk a little bit about the islands of personality and the concept that they can be deconstructed and rebuilt. So in the film, joy and sadness get separated from headquarters with with the core memories. Like they all get sucked up and put into long-term memory, which is, you know, where we all get lost when we're trying to remember anything. Um, But each of these core memories is the foundation for each of the islands, personality islands, fear and disgust, our fear, disgust, and anger are left to sort of navigate and take over. And they don't really know how to manage because they've been so dependent on joy, making all of the decisions. Anger eventually convinces everyone that running away back to Minnesota is the only way to make new core memories. And so once they literally take the light bulb and plug it in, Riley latches onto that idea and it just goes. So then she's like, I got it. I got to run away. So as this is going on, all of Riley's islands are starting to fall apart. So throughout the entire film, we're seeing each island sort of crumble as a different situation happens that Riley experiences that there isn't anything to draw on. First, I think it's like Hockey Island because she goes to do the tryouts and then they all just sort of crumble from there. Um, And then eventually the control board goes completely dark, which to me symbolizes like you can't operate any emotion at this point. But when joy and sadness finally return to headquarters, they reinstall the core memories and every emotion comes flooding back to Riley. And she's like, I'm making a terrible decision. I have to go home and leaves the bus station and goes back home. But when she arrives home, she's so overcome with every emotion. And then when her parents are kind of like, what's going on, dear? And she just cries, but her parents receive it. And they love her through it, which I thought was so beautiful. So later we see Riley has gotten a new and upgraded control board, which is amazing. And that her islands have been rebuilt and are bigger and better than before. So, but I love this concept about like this deconstruction and rebuilding and what have you, even though her parents were very consumed about the big move because that's huge and this company thing and all the stuff, they still were like they still manage to come back to her and be there for her. And I just, how realistic do you think that really is like in real life? I mean, do you have good parents <laughs> and you have a secure attachment style that supposedly a lot of people have? I don't know. Um, <laughs> do I, I genuinely have to answer that question? Oh my God. <laughs> 
There was a moment though, earlier on in the move where the mom told Riley that dad was really consumed with everything. He was really stressed out and he just needed her mom and Riley to be happy Mm. and to make things easier for her, which I think is what kind of set up everything is that Riley got the message and joy as well, that they needed to be happy for dad. And so it wasn't okay to be having all those other emotions, the sadness and everything else, which at that point I was like, yes, another example of when a parent goes, oh, I did that. And now my kids go into therapy. can't take that one back Um, and so I know that the mom didn't have that intention she was just trying to say dad's overwhelmed we can be helpful and we can make things easier but she wasn't trying to say you can't you know be sad about stuff Um, but yeah I think I think yeah when she comes I mean I don't know most parents I know would have yelled for a little bit about we couldn't find you when you were calling the police. <laughs> right. I was like, that part was like, where's the yelling and the screaming? And I was so worried and you gave me a heart attack. Are these people not ethnic? <laughs> <laughs> They're not. They're obviously they not Catholic either, because there's no guilt and shame in any of it either. <laughs> right? Right. I was like, there's literally like it literally would have been like, it is your fault. I feel this way right now. Like, where was that? <laughs> It was a good showing of what good parenting, right. and understanding, and leads to secure attachment would be like. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. But is it realistic? I don't. I don't know. Hopefully, I, there are. Hopefully, there are children that would have experienced that. Yeah, and and you know, and then I'm like, okay, so maybe this is demonstrating to all the littles who are watching this movie, like this is how to be a parent. <laughs> When your child is obsessed. So bad. You know, are you done crying yet? You know. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Where why what are you crying for? What are you crying for? Sanford's is amazing. Mm. Like, I mean, to some people, somebody from Minnesota, I don't know if that's true for them. Yeah. As a person who has a former in-law who was from Minnesota and lived in San Francisco, he hated it. He hated San Francisco so hard and like made it very well known every single time. And you're just like, okay, go back to Minnesota. He did. He went back. <laughs> Oh man. I did think, you know, I, I took some time to again Google things and because of the, the core memory thing just and how it was attached to like personality traits felt a little off to me from what mm. I understood of psychology. So I dug into that a little bit. And because one thing, there's a lot of our personality that it like is innate. Like like, right. born, like 40% of our happiness our, our levels of happiness or what controls our happiness is really our genetics. Mm. So we have a set amount, a level of, of how happy we can be based on our genetics. Mm-hmm. So um, I was looking into this whole idea and they said, well, first off, there's, there's more than five core memories because the, the movie kind of made it feel like you only can have so many core memories. Right. Um, and so you're constantly making core memories and turning these over and adding to what is already there. So the idea that these personality traits would completely deconstruct because some core memories were often, you know, the land of long-term memory isn't quite realistic. 
mm-hmm. you would still have pieces of you that would exist personality wise. Because there are moments I ran, we went on vacation with a family the other day, just to reinforce the innate thing. <clears throat> and the people who were in the condo next to us, we were chatting with them, small talk, whatever. And then she said something about how they had adopted their children because my mom used to work in foster families and adoption. So somehow we always find people who were either foster parents or adopted their kids out of foster care or something. And the woman was like, oh, you know, we adopted our, you know, our eldest daughter. And then she recently discovered a sibling and we met that sibling. It's a sister. And it's like you, it, they're carbon copies, mm-hmm. not just in, you know, in the sense of like what they look like, but just like the way they, their mannerisms are, the way they speak, you know, their interests. It's like, it's like you have this almost, it's this almost the same person and the mom was marveling at that because she's like she was raised with us it's so wild how there's so much about yourself that is just there that has no that environment has no bearing on we are a very big mix of nurture and nature of environment Mm -hmm. and what we come into the world with yeah Um, but yeah to to think that there would be nothing is kind of i think that's kind of a disservice to kids in a way like like fear inspiring like you lose these memories there's nothing left of you as far as your personality and that's that's not necessarily the case yeah I did actually spiral (laughs) having just come off of a large family gathering of extended family slash who the fuck am I now that my kids have grown moment um and having spent time with that side of the family and then my son just being like y'all are the same people to, to this extent um but then also dealing with stuff that because my dad almost died when I was 12 he had a really um debil- he had a debilitating stroke and my siblings are so much older than I am that for them they had the zero to 18 sort of perfect family structure but for me it was literally like 10 days 10 or 20 days after I turned 12 so it's in the same month that I turned 12 and that deconstruction of the islands felt and I didn't feel this way in 2015 but now that I'm actually reading self-help books which was a thing I would never have done having been raised by a therapist um judgmental therapist um it to me felt like, oh, I can recognize those moments in my life now, all these years later. Um, but the total deconstruction and reconstruction, like you say, was still not fully there because I was pretty heavy into dance. And that's about the time I quit sort of dancing. And I have very clear memories of like struggling in the dance studio. Um, and I just refer to them as brain glitches. But what I understand now, it's like, no, my world came to a crashing hold and I was trying to rebuild. And the difference here is that my parents weren't like, come on, honey, let's rebuild together. My parents were like, fuck, we got to survive. <laughs> which I think would be a common thing for most parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why I was like, I don't think these parents would have been like, oh my God, we missed you. What's wrong? <laughs> ideal world ideal world yes model how we should be as adults because some of us you know as and then now as parents you're just like like you said you're like oh shit that's gonna cause therapy for my kid that was not my intention (laughs) yeah this time around was just a whole bunch of weeping jackie (laughs) i was just like oh i missed that and i missed that and then 
today, one of the very first things I did while I was eating my breakfast, um, because I love TV so much, was I was watching the latest episode of Star Trek Strange New World. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. It's in my queue. I will not do anything that's spoilery. Thank you. But it focuses on Spock. And the big storyline with Spock is that he is half Vulcan and half human. And Vulcans work to suppress their emotions on a daily, regular basis. And so he, as a half human, half um, Vulcan, is constantly in this struggle of dealing with human emotions, but being expected to deal with them as a Vulcan. Mm. And thinking, oh, well, we're talking about inside out today. And it's like, okay, so Vulcans are constantly suppressing their emotions, but as a human, that eventually explodes. Yeah. And they have shown that on occasion with, uh, with Spock is that the reason why Vulcans suppress them is because they are so much more powerful than they are in humans, supposedly. Mm. Um, and so they've had moments where he's kind of broken and the emotions have come out. And, and to think about Inside Out and, and that at the same time, it was just a really like interesting comparison situation. Yeah. Yeah. I love anything that has to deal with duality. There's obvious duality, right? Like with Spock, there's obvious duality with me. There's obvious duality because of being biracial, but I think we all experience duality in some way, shape or form, but we only are allowed to accept it if it's very clear. But what I love with storytelling that's happening right now is that it's showing us that duality just exists and we need to figure out how to live and talk about it. Um, and, and having those big sort of duality storylines, I think helps with that. Cause like, you know, as you're saying, like you're watching Spock and then you're seeing a similar sort of connectivity to inside out when it comes to the emotional component to it. And what I've noticed from spending time in the Midwest is that the Midwest folks who stem from those who are very, um, I don't know, is it Nordic and Germanic and like all of the, you know, those regions where it's like very, very, like it's, I'm going to say it out loud and people are going to be mad, but I'm going to say it anyway. It is a brand of white people that just doesn't exist in California. <laughs> it's the Midwest nice. We have the phrase Midwest nice. And it is, it's back to that passive aggressive situation. It's a lot of suppression of emotion. Being somebody in Iowa right now, have always lived in Iowa my entire life. I'm very familiar with it, which is why I've always been like, I need to move to the West Coast. These are not my people. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it is. It's just very much a, like these are the little boxes that we can fit into when it comes mm -hmm. to emotions. There is no big emotions there. Um, you always have to put on a happy face and be nice to people, even though it's not kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that is always interesting for me to experience. Like when my family is always like, you should, you know, when they're like, visit, I'm like, yes, I'll visit you. And then I'll leave because I can't, I'm too ethnic and West coast for these people to handle. They don't like it. <laughs> and it's not that I it's, and that's not, it's not true that they don't like it. It's just that it's so foreign because the way that the culture is in the, in the Midwest States, it's so, it's just so different. It's just so different. Um, nice to visit though. <laughs> Depending on the time of year. Yeah. Oh, that I think. And I said this the last time in that 15 minute clip that we talked about mental health and, and adolescence was 
I love that the other part of the message with Inside Out, and we touched on it a little bit, is that your emotions are allowed to coexist. Joy is so focused. And your your point on that was so, like, I didn't even think about that. Like, that would be a trigger for a kid to be like, I'm not allowed to feel anything but joy because mom and dad need joy. And that internalization for literal joy. <clears throat> and there's a scene, and I talked about this last time, where Bing Bong is so sad about about something I forget what it was and sadness just hears him out and she's like man that sucks I know man like I'm so sorry like blah blah and then he feels better and then Joy's just kind of like oh and then later on when one of the core memories is the joy is the joy that Riley feels because of the hockey game situation and then Joy realizes no that that started in sadness and that joy came from everyone trying to sort of change the change the emotion and the tone, but not in a way that's erasing it. But joy had erased the sadness and sadness was like, remember how we were sad? <laughs> Let's not forget we were sad. Okay. And I don't remember 2015 that well, but I feel like inside out was one of the first things that talked about toxic posit positivity. Yes. Really what that movie captured so well was this, like need to be happy so much so that we're not going to acknowledge that yeah sometimes life is shit yeah so. I agree I think it really is the beginning of it because I don't have any memories of toxic positivity prior to uh 20 2015 2016 um everything prior to 2015 with few exceptions like the blatant racism was like in the blatant sexism it's like 2015 what a time you know it's a good year. We had no idea what was coming. The world but, was ending within months. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I do think you're I I agree with you. I agree with you about it sort of just kind of touching on that toxic positivity. And I know, and again, that's one of those deprogramming things that I think you and I are going through. And when you encounter somebody who's not going through that, it's almost like, do you need a hug? And for me to remind you, like, you're allowed to be upset right now. Like, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, all the people in your life where you go to them and you try and talk to them about something you're upset about and their first inclination is to say, well, it's not that bad or smile or, you know, let's get over it or whatever it happens to be. And they're trying to be helpful. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make you feel better. But sometimes you just need to feel bad like sadness and, and the imaginary friend sitting there. You just have to let that em emotion have its moment and then it passes. I think they say it's like 90 seconds. If you allow the emotion, it will pass within 90 seconds and you'll oh. be on to like a new thing. So, but if you try and push it down and not acknowledge it, then it's actually still always there holding on. And yeah. that's where you get like my lovely thought spirals at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so. Thought spirals, grudges. Mm -hmm. Gosh. Do you have anything else you want to add about Inside Out before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think we covered most of it. Inside Out can be streamed on Disney Plus, but also maybe, I don't know, who knows what the writer's actor strike is going to look like by the time this airs. I don't know what to tell y'all. Just, you know, support the writers, support the actors. I know everyone wants to bitch about how they make more money than most of us, but also their jobs are demanding. So fuck off with that. Fuck off with your toxic positivity about that. Anyway, oopsie. Uh, this movie, like I said, makes me weep. And I think, I think that's just 
Pixar's brand. <laughs> How can we make people weep? <laughs> time and time again. So rude. I hate them. I know I don't. Obviously, I'm going to keep seeing Pixar movies. <laughs> Jackie, thank you again so much for being on this show. Please tell our friends how they can find you, keep up with you, and support your work. I am on Instagram a lot, um, and I am at Jackie Hayes underscore OBM. But as we're speaking, threads came out last week, so it's possible by the time this airs, I'm never on Instagram, and I'm always on threads yeah. with the same handle. So you'll find me <laughs> the same handle either way. Jackie again for coming to talk about Inside Out and for causing me this emotional pain and having to watch this movie again. Emotional pain in a good way. There's so much going on this month for us y'all and I'm going to tell you about every single one. Book Club meets on February 18th. We are reading Erasure by Percival Everett, which inspired the Oscar-nominated American fiction starring Jeffrey Wright and Tracy Ellis Ross and Sterling K. Brown. I hope you join us. There's a lot of buzz about this movie. There's a lot of talk about this book. You've probably seen it all over Book Talk if you're following Black creators. And I haven't seen a lot of non-Black book talkers talking about it, which is kind of annoying. Anyway... You can join us, you can read the book, watch the movie, or just join to listen. It doesn't matter. It is a perk of our Patreon. If you join the book club tier or higher, you get into our monthly book club. We read book-to-screen adaptations. You can head on over to patreon.com slash Washington and click the book club tier for all of the book club details. Plus, if you join Patreon at any tier, there's all kinds of fun bonus stuff. Happy Hour returns in March, just in time for the Oscars. So that's what our topic of conversation will be that month. Again, patreon.com slash Julia Washington to get all the, all the details on how to join. We are hosting our first in-person reading salon on February 22nd here in Modesto. You can learn all about that on my website, juliawashingtonproductions.com. The event is almost sold out and it might be by the time this airs. So if you want to attend, you better hurry and get your ticket ASAP. If it is sold out by the time you get to this episode and head to my website to check it out, you can join my mailing list so that way you can get access to announcements of when our next ones are. The link is in the show notes to do that. Friends, thanks for tuning in, y'all. Until next time.